You are listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with DJ Evil Dave and Dr. Brandy Sexyboys. service announcement for box elder bucks oh okay we'll start there <laughs> and then i'll describe why it was take two but please go on with your box elder bugs yeah i don't know uh listeners if you have box elder bugs where you are but they are the bane of existence because they breed quicker faster more resiliently than tribbles and so you can be overrun in simply a matter of hours if you have but two box elder bugs, by the next day you'll have five million. <laughs> so <clears throat> that bad, huh? It, it seems like it. I remember my mom having them all the time, and like an entire wall of the family room would just be covered in them. Oh yeah, they'd suck them up with a vacuum, and then it'd just be covered again. That stopped when she started working. Her job at Moore Green, which is now my job at Moore Green, mm-hmm. is the office manager, and she started getting foundation sprays, and that does not happen anymore, because whatever insecticide is in there, it kills those little motherfuckers. So, yep. just so you know, it does work. Yeah, they're a weird little bug, kind of roach-like in their appearance, and they have kind of this orangey, reddy, like, stripe down the back of them. Well, if you ever see them beat their wings, the underside of their wings are red. But yeah, they uh, infest Utah. And there was one on my foot, and I felt it crawling, and I kicked it off, and then you killed it for me. Thank you. Yep, and then I threw it away. Yes. And then I came back and realized that the uh, air conditioning unit was blowing air directly into the microphone, which is why I had to restart the podcast, because I was getting too much noise that would have made editing difficult, if not impossible. I know, and it was such a good beginning, and I fucked it all up by not moving the vent. Oh, I didn't realize until too late that the vent was blowing directly into the microphone. Because it's nice to stay cool, but at the same time, having the noise would have been an issue. Also, sorry about being a week late. We had to reschedule because of your schedule. Yep. Uh, You have the Unready Room, you have the Vedic Assembly, you have all these other shows that you impart your Star Trek wisdom upon. They have to be set times, the Unready Room, because it's a live show, mm-hmm. and Vedic Assembly, because I'm recording with someone in Australia. Yeah, there's a very limited window in which you can record together. I don't know what the hell we're going to do when we have Una McCormick on, because she's in the UK, and it's just going to be... There's seven hours and probably another seven hours. It's like, jeez. Well, no, right now I think Australia is 18 hours ahead of us. Right. And so 7-11. The UK is, yeah, 
the UK is seven hours Mm -hmm. ahead of us. So there's a difference of 11 hours just between the UK and Australia. It may necessitate me getting up in the middle of the night. It may indeed. So we'll work it out. Well, as long as you record maybe in the weekend, it shouldn't be too bad. That's not necessarily... Because uh, th- that's the thing about that 18-hour time difference is my Saturday is next Sunday. Yeah. So we'll that, work it out. Yeah, that 11 hours is tricky, and then you add the 7 to it, and woof. I'm, I think I'm probably just going to tell Nick, you figure it out between you and Una, and then whatever time that is, I will just make it work mm-hmm. as long as it's not during work on Friday. Right. So... We'll see what happens. Like I said, I'll get up in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. To talk to Una McCormick, you're fucking right, I will. If you don't know who Una McCormick is, well, then you don't care. But she's one of my favorite authors. Definitely in my top three Star Trek authors. Yes. But she doesn't just write Star Trek books. And she is a delightful human. And I really just am excited to have her on the show. Yeah, speaking of Star Trek, there's new trailers out. Yes! Shall we just go straight into news and reviews then? Yeah, I think so. All right, straight into news and reviews. Yesterday, which as of this recording was the 23rd of July, was San Diego Comic-Con at home. They're still not doing it live and in person. Right. Probably because they're smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though uh, California still has a higher level of vaccinations completed than we do. And I mean that percentage-wise, not number-wise. But Well, number-wise they would anyway because they're a more highly populated state. Yes, that's what state. I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm talking about percentage of the population. Yeah. They had the, the uh, panels on YouTube. It was like a three-hour block that the first two hours were Star Trek Prodigy cast and Star Trek Lower Decks cast after that. And of course, you know, creators, executive producers, etc. sort of thing. And so I got to finally see all of the lovely people who are going to be doing voices for Star Trek Prodigy. I was very impressed and delighted with all of them. Yeah, a lot of them are younger. Yes, well, there there are a lot of young folk and there's also a child. Mm-hmm. And they thought about getting an adult to do a child's voice, but they're like, "No, we really just want a child. It's yeah. just it's just different. This this character is 8 years old and she's a giant rock monster." <laughs> and we just want that actual kid voice in there. And of course, the incomparable queen Kate Mulgrew was present as well for that panel, which she's just magnificent. Oh, yes. I have always thought that Kate Mulgrew is magnificent, and she proved me right. It was moderated by Jerry O'Connell, who's actually part of the Lower Decks cast. He was uh, not supposed to be moderating. It was supposed to be Will Wheaton, and something happened that Will couldn't do it, and so Jerry was doing it. That guy is nuts in the (laughs) best way. He is endlessly entertaining. Oh, yeah. He's a goof. He is a goof. It was really funny early on in the uh, Prodigy panel when um, his wife, Rebecca Romaine, just suddenly comes out of the house. Mm-hmm. And Jason Manzukas, who's one of the voices, says, Hey, Jerry, your wife just came out of the house <laughs> behind you. <laughs> and then he turns around and Ethan Peck comes out of her their house. And I'm like... What is happening right now? And then a a child comes out as well. I guess they were looking for a cat. But then, of course, 
they did I guess they didn't realize what he was doing at the moment. <laughs> and so he's just like, Oh yeah, hey, say hi to number one in Spock, you guys. It was fun. <laughs> Very adorable. He's just shoved them all back in the house. I've got work to do. <laughs> it was quite funny. So, yeah, that was delightful. And, of course, the Lower Decks panel was truly delightful because when you get those guys together, all of them are magnificent. Unfortunately, oh, my God, I can't remember her name. Noelle. Noelle, that's uh-huh. her name, who plays Tendi. She was not able to be there. Right. And shows she did a little pre-recorded message, and uh, they edited that in. But that was also just... So delightful. I love those guys so much. Yeah, that should be coming in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, August 12th. Yeah. August 12th, coming very soon. Of course, we'll probably get the first three episodes sooner than that, because I'm still getting uh, preview copies digitally. But I, I really loved the trailer for Prodigy. Yeah, it looks really beautiful. It is beautiful, and it's really nothing like we've ever seen before in Trek. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the Lower Decks trailer fucking hell. <laughs> Mayhem. Commemorative plate talking to you. Uh, a Tom Paris commemorative plate, which they are now actually going to make. Mm-hmm. They are going to make a limited run of them. I am waiting with bated breath for August 11th to come so I can pre-order mine. <laughs> I hope I manage to get one because I swear to God that everybody's going to be trying to get one. Oh, yeah. And you have a uh, Spock head. I don't have a Spock head. Oh, you don't head. have... But, oh, you didn't manage to order it? I didn't I didn't say I was going to order it. Oh, okay. I thought you did. No, I haven't ordered it yet. Ah, uh, I thought you had planned to. I, was, I, I have planned to, but I was going to wait for next paycheck. Okay, that makes sense. But um, I, I love that uh, we saw things in there that we haven't seen before. Uh, you remember that very quick scene where there was a green alien woman welcoming people? Right. Uh, that's from the animated series. Nice. Um, I forget what kind of alien she is, but of course, Aaron Aaron Harvey knows. He knows everything. There's a Temerian, which we haven't seen since TNG's episode Darmok. Right. And I love that there's now a Temerian. And I still speak in metaphor because that's their culture. Fun stuff there. I also saw Nausicans and the Pièce de Résistance, Jeffrey Combs, doing a voice of an alien evil computer. Yep. I'm so excited. Yeah, because Jeff Combs has been in a lot of Trek. Yep. Especially DS9. He was all over that. He was in Enterprise a lot, too. But in Deep Space Nine, he played three different characters. I think he even might have done a fourth at some point. Not in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He did three. He did that one weird alien that wanted um, Quark to scan... Kira and oh yeah, that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, and then there's then there's Brunt, Brunt and then there's Wayun. Well, it depends on if you count all of the different Wayun clones. Yep, and I count them all as one because I think there's at least three. Yep, but yeah, I was adding the the one that from that really bad episode. Yes, it's not Mm. Jeffrey Combs' fault. He was in that. That's the writer's issue. Yep. Yeah. So. And, you know, that's something I really, really appreciate about modern Trek is the complete lack of female objectification. I was just talking to somebody about this on Twitter, is that because Paramount Plus is a subscription service, they can follow the HBO model and the Netflix model of creating series Mm -hmm. in which they just create what the creator intended. They're not beholden to any sponsors or 
any executives that try to nose their way in with whatever notes or trying to sex it up to get Nelson ratings for, you know, the appealing to the male gaze and <sighs> objectifying the women cast members or if they want to do a topic that's, you know, cuts a little closer to the bone, it's not going to be softened around the edges to avoid, you know, offending the Bible belt or anything like that. It, they can mm-hmm. tell the stories they want to tell as they intended to tell them. And you can see why some fans might be reluctant to that because they're accustomed to getting the kind of watered down stuff that they got before when this is like the just raw, pure Star Trek as an as originally intended, yep. as the writers, as the creators originally intended. Also, I have a suspicion that there's there are certain fans that require a series to be completed before they can say whether they like it or not. Yeah, for fuck's sake. It's like they need complete control over a finished product in order to enjoy it. And so something like Discovery or Picard or Lower Decks or Prodigy is that since they're ongoing series that are being still created that they can't invest in it because it's not done it's not finished it's not like they can look objectively at the whole thing and judge it Mm. in its entirety because it's still going and i think that might threaten some people it's like they're accustomed to having finished products to enjoy Yes, because God forbid you enjoy New Trek as it's airing. Well, think of the number of people that hated Voyager while it aired, hated Enterprise while it aired, hated DS9 while it aired, and then now they're looking back at it and they're enjoying it. They don't have anything new coming. They only have what has already been, and so that's what they have to cling to. Mm -hmm. Now there are new things. They're like, no, I don't want... That. I don't like Trek to be this SJW vehicle. Well, it's always fucking been that. Have you watched the original series? And it's been intended to be that, and they've had to dial it back because of threats of, you know, sponsors and TV execs. Mm-hmm. And that they didn't have the strength of their convictions to carry out some of the original story ideas. It's not even that. They wanted to. There were there were times where this is how they wrote the script, mm-hmm. and the studio's like, no. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that the writers originally intended, and even sometimes the production team was behind them, but it's like the TV execs, you know, the studios, The people sponsors, who know nothing. Distributors, you know, all those people. But now that it's a subscription service, you can ignore all that and just release what you intend to release. Yeah, it was so funny with the first time we heard fuck in Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. and people lost their goddamned minds. Yep. And I'm just like, you realize there has been swearing in Trek since the original series. It's just that now they don't have to clean it up because <laughs> nope. there's, you know, because of network. Double demos on you. <laughs> Yeah, well, not only that, let's say they said damn and hell oh, yeah, and sh- in the original series. And which, shit in some of the movies. Yeah, Data said shit, mm-hmm. I think more than once. And you get some people that say, well, in the future, I'd hope that they'd be able to get past this, you know, swearing and stuff. Well, maybe they got past being offended by it. Well, the fact of the matter is, according to studies, many studies that have been done, Mm -hmm. Uh, about people who swear versus people who don't swear. People who swear are more honest. And 
there are people who will say, oh, well, they're only saying that because they're not intelligent enough to think of something else. Oh, contraire, my friend. <laughs> that actually means that they have more command over the English language and know exactly where to place that swear word. Oh, yeah, and creative how swearing to use it. is one of the greatest things ever. And the word fuck yep. can do so much. Oh, yeah, it's a versatile uh, Adjective, phrasing. verb, yeah. noun. Because listening to some British people swear, their creative swearing, it's so ingenious. That, mm. And it shows like a cunning wit. Yes. To be able to swear in a, in a clever fashion. Well, it's like how you have to know all the rules before mm. you can break them. That's the same thing with swearing. And Mythbusters, too, with if swearing helps temporarily reduce pain. It, it's like yeah. when you hit your thumb with a hammer or something. Like mm. they're putting people's hands in ice water and... You'd be allowed to swear, and if, you know, how you would rate your pain or how quickly you'd remove your hand from the water. is like if you're allowed to swear, you could leave your hand in longer. The people who weren't allowed to swear were given a list of words they could say mm-hmm. that were replacements mm-hmm. for swear words. Yeah, that did not work. Yep. Because there is nothing so cleansing as yelling fuck really loud when <laughs> yep. you hurt yourself. Oh, yeah. Anyway, wow, that tangent happened, yeah, and well, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. You know, I love talking about Trek mm-hmm. in general. It was related so, in a way. Yep. So, and and those panels are still up on YouTube. You guys, if any of you are interested in watching them, if you just search for Comic Con at Home 2021, and it should be entitled Peak Animation. It's just like a three-hour blog of the first two are Prodigy and Lower Decks, as I said. Black Widow. Black Widow. We saw Black Widow in the theater. We did. There was, uh, luckily, not enough people to annoy us. Though it was weird having people sit directly next to us. Yes, well, maybe they wanted to be close to the aisle. Could be. What was your general impressions of Black Widow, darling? I fucking loved it. Yeah. I really, really did. Like, it's up there with Winter Soldier for me now. Yeah, it's, it's in... That kind of vein. I I like the sister storyline. Florence Pugh was amazing in it. Oh my god, yes. I wonder if she kind of studied Scarlett Johansson to kind of pick up on some of her mannerisms and speech patterns and stuff like that. Just to model a little bit. Mm -hmm. Even though they might not be like blood sisters, but you know, just being raised together that you pick up on each other's nuances. Uh, My favorite moment, and this is a really small moment, but it really spoke to me because, you know, they just kind of toyed around with Black Widow kind of in the background, like in Iron Man 2, and, you know, she wasn't really that big of a thing. But then when you had the first Avengers movie, when she's tied up in the chair and she's oh, getting God. the Such a great villain scene. to monologue, and that's her whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that that's not something she was trained to do in the Red Room. That's Mm-mm. specifically her talent that... She apparently learned by watching James Bond movies <laughs> that she can say, you know, watch and repeat like word for word, just verbatim the entire script because she was watching, I think, Goldfinger or something. And she was just quoting along. She was quoting, you know, that moment when the villain's revealing his plan. Yep. And then she does that later. She did that to Loki as well. Oh, yes. Getting them to just tell you exactly what their plan is it's like oh that's what you're planning okay i love that scene in avengers because the way that she's reacting to him is what he expects Mm -hmm. but i'm just like but that's not she's not really upset and so you know 
she turns away and she does her final thing. You're a monster. And he's like, oh no, you brought the monster with you. And then she just straightens up and turns around. Banner, so that's your play. And he's like, hey, he looks shocked like, <laughs> he's, what he's just com- happened? He's like completely confused. Well, he's like the tr- trickster god just got tricked. Mm-hmm. The deceiver just got deceived. And so you can see this kind of shock like, well, that's not supposed to happen. Unfortunately, the plan still worked. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I liked Black Widow. I I liked the performances. I liked the family stuff a lot, though yes. the stuff with the pig was a little weird and disturbing. But I think it served a point and contributed to, you know, the plot of, of mind control, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it was still disconcerting. Well, yeah, it's meant to be. Yep. And obviously that wasn't a real pig. Yeah. I mean, not in the close-ups. The it comedy would... stuff was really good. So good! I know some people are pointing fingers and talking about there being fat shaming or whatever because of uh, the Red Guardian trying to fit in the old uniform. Oh, he a, got back into yeah, it. Making a joke out of that. It, it Well, yeah. it, I didn't see it as a joke because he honestly just wanted to relive that glory. Mm-hmm. That, for me, was the joke because yep. he wanted to relive that glory. Whatever he did, he managed to get into it. And I like how he still talks about the party line, mm-hmm. even after the the wall fell and the, you have Gorbachev and all this stuff, or Gorbachev, 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 I forget. Uh, you're the one that knows Russian. Yeah, well, I forget how his name is spelled, but... It's spelled C-H-E-V, but... C- At the end. Okay, so Gorbachev, okay, with an E. Yeah. He was still into the socialist politic part of it and serving, you know, Mother Russia and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that his daughter's called him an idiot for it. You're <laughs> a moron. <laughs> so you're still holding on to this party line. And basically like the, uh, uh, I guess it was a streaming television show or was it one not one of the premium networks, the, the Americans that was about a Russian spy family? Uh, I think that was on network TV. Yeah, that, that kind of storyline. It's a little casual with death. It is a comic book movie, but with, uh, you know, the opening of the movie when they're escaping shield agents and the shield agents are getting shot left and right it's like well maybe they're hydra because <laughs> hydra took over shield and so you just don't know and also the prison escape a lot of people died during that and this is a russian prison so who's to say how many people actually you know committed crimes and are locked up for those reasons like actual violent crimes or anything well, it seemed to me like most of them got back inside before yeah. the avalanche well, Wasn't there a big explosion, too? Yeah, that's what set off the avalanche. Yeah. But I don't think that the explosion necessarily was near like, a lot of people. Okay, that destroyed the actual complex itself. Cause, it, didn't, yeah. it didn't destroy the complex. Okay, because that was a little confusing. He's like, okay, how many people died during that escape? Probably not as many as you think. Okay. Might warrant a second watch. If anything, the guards were the ones getting killed. Uh, there's also the issue that I think Rogue One had a little bit too. Is that we kind of know this? You know what happens to Black Widow, so it's kind of odd that you go back to see her story before, and that whatever the story is taking place can't be that important because there's not really much of a rollout from it. But then I think the story is really about uh, God. What's her name? You have. Yelena? Yelena, right? Yelena. Yelena. Yeah, Romanov. And well, her name's not Romanov. Yeah. What, what's her name? Okay. Yelena Belova. Belova, right. 
that it's like a setup for a Hawkeye movie and her involvement in that. It seems like they're they're setting up for that. And also we get to see Lady Hydra again, who was also in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Well, the thing that I think you're completely skirting over, and by the way, lots of spoilers, guys, is the whole thing that they destroyed the guy making the Black Widows. Yeah. They set the Black Widows free from the mind control. Right. They basically have destroyed the Red Room. There is no more Red Room now. Yep. And now all of those women that they are freeing, that's just one more person that isn't running around doing the stuff that Natasha used to do before Hawkeye recruited her. Mm -hmm. So they have offset the balance in the world with that. That's a big deal. And not everything has to be like world-ending events like a lot of the Avengers films have been. That this They can have a smaller story like like Ant-Man or, you know, because there was a similar threat in Ant-Man with the yellow jacket is mm. to create this suit where you could do international intrigue and assassinate, you know, foreign dignitaries and stuff like that. It's a similar vein as that on that scale. When it comes to the individual superhero movies, those aren't about the world ending. Right. The Avengers movies about the world ending. Thor the Dark World was a bit different. And I think a lot of people, that's one of the criticisms of it, is that it was such a global event that the Avengers should have been involved and weren't. Well, there was very little time. Yeah. While other stories that concentrate on a single character is, is a smaller scale. It's not like a global threat. Well, yeah, because like in Winter Soldier, that's when Hydra comes out. And says, ha ha, we've been a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like Spider-Man Homecoming is a bit smaller of a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ant-Man. But then uh, Far From Home was kind of a world-ending story. Or could have been. Yeah. Because yeah, those those weird uh, faux disasters. Yep. What a crazy storyline that is. That's really weird. Yeah, it's kind of messy. It's, it, it's weird. It's also weird with the... Uh, the MCU's Peter Parker is how quickly they got him to have resources, but it'll be interesting what the next Spider-Man movie is, where those resources are removed from him. At least I, I think they are when he's been outed. I don't know if he still have access to Tony Stark's wealth well, in I the would, upcoming film. I would imagine he would, because yeah. Tony would have provided for that. Yeah, but he's also been made... A fugitive, so I don't know if he'd be cut off from that or if it'd still be available to him. We'll see. Well, long story short, he an Avenger, so he gonna have help. <laughs> he gonna have place to go. Yeah, it's just interesting that the like the concept of the character, you know, originally is somebody who had these these issues trying to balance life with being a superhero, and and the Tony Stark wealth thing kind of takes care of that part of it. Or it provides him resources where he doesn't have to worry about that so much. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, that's okay with me because it happened in the comics. And also, it is really painful to watch the Peter Parker who can't hold a job because he's too busy being Spider-Man and now he's getting evicted and all that stuff. That is not... That's a little too much real life. (laughs) Yep. I am rooting for this guy, so don't dump all that shit on him, please. Yeah, and I think... They realize that, too, is that yeah. that's that's not what people are going to the movies to see, is see. the 
drama. I mean, you get a little bit of that with Ant-Man with his his struggles with with money early on and holding a job and keeping his family and that sort of thing. Well, for him, it was just getting a job. And then, yeah, but that's okay. He fell in with Hank Pym. And And now he's Avenger 2. There's a bit that you pointed out that's similar to the wet to dry hair situation that was in Winter Soldier. And Mm -hmm. that's with the makeup. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you didn't have makeup in this scene, and you do now? You had time to put that on? It's like, we knew, you knew that these guys were coming, and you still changed clothes, put on a lot of eyeliner. Mm-hmm. So much eyeliner, both on top and underneath. Okay, sure. <laughs> and I predicted a, a thing that would happen as well as that when uh, the villain revealed that he was using pheromones. Mm-hmm. As a mind control device, that as long as you could smell that smell, you couldn't attack him. He's like, oh, she's going to try to get hit or hit herself and damage her nose so she can't smell. Though the way she said it is to sever the nerve. Mm -hmm. It's like, God, I wouldn't hope you'd go that far because it takes a while for a nerve to heal, even if it does. It's like more just to clog it with blood and so you can't smell. Yeah, but then you're breathing through your nose and I guess you through could your mouth. Also, pinch a nerve while you can like cut <sighs> off the the information coming from the nerve without actually severing it. Yeah, well, she couldn't have really done that mm-hmm. and kept him at bay at the same time, yeah. could she? But yeah, when she hit her head on the desk, it's like, yep, because he wasn't punching her in the right place. Mm-hmm. Well, he did hit her in the face a couple uh, of times, yeah. but not hard enough because he's a weakling. And the Taskmaster thing was interesting, how they approached that. I haven't heard any, like, backlash to it. I think early on people didn't like the look of the Taskmaster because it wasn't, like, accurate to the comics or whatever. I think it's close enough. Oh my god. Because unless you want a four-color animated character in the middle of an MCU movie, you're not going to get exactly the design from the comic. But they can get close, and I think they got close enough. Yeah, I mean, thank God they're not going with what's in the comic. Can you yeah. imagine Scarlet Witch? Jesus Christ. Ugh. And no they thanks. had to, you know, change some backstory situations to make it more cohesive and to make it more relevant to Natasha's past with Budapest. Not Budapest. 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 So, yeah, it, was, it had the kind of Mission Impossible kind of quality to it. It's like watching one of those movies. It was just a nice spy movie. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and the acting was top-notch, and I just um, really liked seeing so many women in lead roles. Another feminine critique complained about the final scene with like the jumping out of the base and flying. Not really flying, just falling accurately. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's something you see from a Mission Impossible film, or even Godzilla had that, you know, low Earth orbit dive kind of thing they did. Yeah, and guess what? That's something that uh, skydivers do. Like, mm-hmm. professional skydivers that, like, do tricks in the air. How do you think they fucking get in position? They know how to yeah. manipulate their bodies to get where they need to go with the air current. Yep, Iron Man had a skydiving sequence, a really intricate one. The Barrel of Monkeys sequence, Iron Man 3. So, yeah, yeah. there's other examples of people falling from the sky and being able to control where they go. It's well, not flying. It's just somebody it's, who's very skilled at 
at skydiving. Yeah, it's it's falling purposely. Mm-hmm. Purposefully, I should yeah. say. Yeah, because, you know, if you want to slow down, you extend all of your limbs. Mm-hmm. You want to dive and go a certain direction, mm-hmm. pull everything in. Yeah, it's all about drag and that sort of thing. So, yep. controlled dive. Yep. yep. That's basically what we saw. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the dramatic beats more than I liked the action beats. But I did like the sister fight in the apartment. That was fun. I think that you might like the action bits more now that you know what happens. Yeah, I think I was probably pay more attention. Yeah, following the story more. I was more invested in the story than the action. So the action seemed to interrupt the thing I was interested in. It's like, oh, get back to the story. (laughs) This action thing is like, no, no, go back to the story. I'm following that. But yeah, now that I know what the story is, the action would be a nice uh, bit of icing on the cake. Yep. Next is Loki. Oh yeah, still in the Marvel world, we have in television now the what is it? Sixth episode. Yep, six uh, episodes of first Loki, season one. Season, as it turns out, of Loki. Uh, having it be just the first season made it feel a little bit unresolved. Well, Kinda, yeah, yeah, left after going ah, and that's it. We're, we have to wait now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. Now, some people are upset that they didn't really go as far with the Loki uh, Mobius thing as much as people had wanted. But that's something people were putting on it before the series even started. They just, from what they saw in trailers and stuff. If you want to see things that way, that's fine. Mm. But don't get upset because what you see on screen is not what you imagined it should be. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Lokius stands out there. Although I hate that word, stand. I do too. Because, yeah, it's uh, kind of gruesome where that phrase comes from. You know, the uh, Eminem song about putting your girlfriend in a trunk. It's like, no, thank you. I think we can have more positive representation of fandom than that. Yeah, well, everybody's using it. But except me. I don't yeah. I don't use it. Mm-hmm. I'm not ever going to use it. Yeah. The Sylvie-Loki thing is an interesting relationship. They had great chemistry. And there's kind of a teasing of how good their chemistry is that they're proximity to one another their connection can actually alter the timeline mm-hmm. in a very powerful way and so we got a hint of that but that's something i would like resolved as well but that's what the next season is for i suppose and it's interesting that of course loki's gonna fall in love with himself even though he also hates himself that he's such a narcissist that he'd fall in love with the uh, female version of himself though we find out both of them are either bisexual or pansexual mm-hmm. so they in passing talk about you know being interested in more than just the opposite sex yeah though we don't ever ever see that actually represented we we hear it in dialogue yeah but that's the thing is that we haven't had enough of loki on screen just being loki to to you know really see any of that which is a shame the highlight for me i think is richard e. grant's classic loki <laughs> Like, right out of the 80s era, like, Claremont era comics. Like, when he'd be messing with Alpha Flight. It's like, just the giant horns, the green outfit, and just his performance. And you could see Tom Hiddleston growing up to be this Loki. You know, Mm -hmm. his Loki growing up to be this Loki. Yeah. Yeah, the child Loki and... Alligator Loki. Alligator Loki. Loki with Thor's hammer for some reason. Oh, because he killed Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there were so many Lokis in that one episode. Oh, yeah, when they're all fighting each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
this series, not to put too fine a point on it, this season, I should say, really does magnify the one thing that I've always known about Loki, that he is afraid of being alone. Right. But the thing is, he does things that keep people from wanting to be around him. Yeah. And so, like, it's like he's... It's like he's sabotaging himself and doesn't realize that he's actually doing it purposely. Because I think, this is just personal opinion, that, uh, you know, like you said, he hates himself. And I think that's because, especially of when he found out who he really was, where he really came from, that was a big blow to him. And I think that made him far worse than he ever would have been. Well, this is typical in some people's relationship is that they'll self-sabotage because they want to be the ones in control of whether a relationship succeeds or fails. And so they'll cause it to fail just so they're not the ones left in the cold. That they'll actively find ways to keep somebody at a distance or to ruin a relationship because they just don't want to be intimate or can't be intimate. Yeah, but that's the whole flaw. You're still alone. Yeah, you're still alone. You, it's just you, you're you, alone you by your choice and not somebody else's. But it's not. Yeah. It's not your choice. It's not really. Because you can choose whatever you want. Mm. And so that's the thing. Is that Loki? Loki's primary biggest wish is just to be loved for who he is. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know who he is. Yeah, and so... And now he knows who he is yeah. from in this series. Now he knows who he is. And he was rejected. Or he thinks he was rejected. Because before it was all about conquer. Mm-hmm. Conquer and command. And well, he, to he, force people under him to respect him and obey him. And that never seemed to be authentic to because, the character. Because it wasn't. Yeah, because it wasn't. He, he himself said it is a thing that weak people do to make themselves look strong. Mm-hmm. And he was motioning to himself when he said weak. Yep. So he absolutely knows what he was doing. Uh, set design is out of this world. Oh my god, yes. It reminds me of stuff like Brazil. Uh, yeah. Just kind of 1960s... Art deco? Decor. Yeah, art deco kind of decor. And just filing cabinets. And and even like the paperwork with how to spot a variant. And <laughs> how they have different shaped heads than everybody else. And... So you're yeah. a variant. <laughs> the lighting, everything's kind of brown or beige or orange or tan. It's yeah, kind of this late 60s, early 70s vibe to it. Probably mid-70s, somewhere around there. There were a lot of people who were like, well, this series isn't really about Loki. It's like all these things are happening to Loki. And I'm like, okay. All right. Well, what give it a moment. Because, <laughs> yeah, when he makes that reveal later on that, yeah, his whole desire for conquering, that's not really it. It's something else. Mm-hmm. That he's deeply damaged individual. Yeah. Some of which could have been avoided had his dad just told him the truth from yeah. early age. It's kind of funny how Odin in Norse mythology is supposed to be this really great father figure. And then you look at his kids and you're going, really? Especially in the MCU where you have Hela and Thor and Loki and they're all messed up in one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's like, you are a horrible father. It kind of is. Yeah. It's like one's vain blowhard that just wants to go out and fight just to prove that he can. And the other's 
duplicitous and another one just wants to kill everything. I don't know. Thor pretty well mellowed out by Ragnarok. Yeah. And even in Infinity War and Endgame, he was still pretty mellow. Oh, yeah. He learned his lesson in the first Thor movie and became, you know, worthy of the hammer again. He already went through his arc. He just had to go through other arcs. You don't just have one arc in your life. It's not a one and done sort of thing. You're constantly Mm. progressing and overcoming and uh, evolving. Right. So, but yeah, I'll watch Tom Hiddleston as Loki any day of the week and twice on Sundays. So I'm excited that there's going to be a season two. Mm -hmm. And now, with the whole variant thing being a thing, that means... I can do Loki cosplay, bitches. Oh, yeah. Well, you could anyway, but this gives you even, like, a greater canon reason to do it. I can just do whatever I want, and nobody mm. can point at me and say, that's not screen accurate. I'm a variant. Yeah. Billions and billions of alternate timelines. I'm this Loki. Mm-hmm. Uh, something before we move on from the Marvel stuff is the opening song to Black Widow I thought was an odd choice. A weird cover of Nirvana's Smells Like Team Spirit. Yeah, that was weird. It was weird, and I'm not sure why they chose it. It seems like there's so many other songs that would be more fitting. I mean, even an Alanis Morissette song would probably make more sense, you know? Maybe that was the point, is that it didn't fit just like they didn't fit. Because I saw Marvel advertising the soundtrack, and I was like, there's really not that many needle drops in the film. Because I remember we stayed through the whole credits, of course, because you have to see the after credits thing. But they had the soundtrack, you know, the list of songs, and most of them were like these kind of Russian classical pieces. And then a few songs like American Pie and that cover of Teen Spirit. And after that, there wasn't really that much in the way of music. I actually forgot about that cover of Teen Spirit. Yeah, it wasn't... It was weird. Well, I was never into Nirvana. Yeah. Understood. Oh, yeah, we're probably... Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Oh, my God, Uh, you guys. I've heard many people sing its praises, and uh, you were the one to suggest we start watching it. Yes, I made the executive decision to drop Showtime, which cost more than twice as much as Apple TV, and subscribe to Apple TV, and we started watching Ted Lasso yesterday. I cannot get enough of this show. Well, I love that it's it's a story about kindness mm-hmm. and how being a kind person can change the lives of those around you. And it's just fascinating. Just this small town American coach of something even not like European football, but some other sport that he was coaching. And he's... It was football. Yeah, hired on to a uh, European football team in the in the UK to coach and basically in that kind of um is it the major league storyline where trying to make the team tank so you can basically sell it off Mm. well in this case it's not about selling it off it's about the owner recently divorced Mm -hmm. wanting to make her husband suffer because there's nothing he loves more than this football club Mm mm-hmm and she wants them to do poorly to punish him. And there's there's a phrase she even uses, I think, like deregulate or re-regulate. Something like that. I forget which word she used, but it seems like specifically something where the team would be sold or whatever. 
I think she said relegated. Relegated? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't know what that means. I so I didn't understand it exactly. I thought that's what she was talking about. Well, why wouldn't she just say sold? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that know terminology in, in a football club means, being relegated. Maybe given back to the city? I don't know. I'm looking to see if I can find... Okay, I got it. I got it. An alternate system of league organization, which is used primarily in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, is a closed model based on licensing or franchises. This maintains the same teams from year to year, with occasional admission of expansion teams and relocation of existing teams, with no team movement between major league and minor, minor league. Okay, so where's relegation? I thought I, that was going to be it. Okay, in sports leagues, promotion and relegation is a process where teams are transferred between multiple divisions based on their performance for the completed season. Leagues that use promotion and relegation systems are often called open leagues. In this system, the best-ranked teams in the lower division are promoted to the higher division for the next season, and the worst-ranked teams in the higher division are relegated to the lower division for the next season. So that's what relegation means. So the players would be relegated to a lower division. Mm -hmm. So to hurt her ex, all his players would be basically demoted. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, it's nice to know what that means now. She's not an evil person. No, she's just injured. She's injured. And she wrapped up so much of her identity with her ex-husband that... You know, she had no idea he was cheating, mm-hmm. and it was ha- it had been happening for years. Probably was happening right after that he got married to her. It's one of those situations where she was the last to know. Yeah, she was the last to know, and so she feels humiliated. She feels stupid, and she's lashing out. And there's only one person she can really target, and that's her ex-husband. And what's the thing he loves most? This football club. And she's not thinking about the consequences Mm -hmm. that are happening to real people. Oh, but she will. I truly feel that she will. Yeah, I think she'll start to see it. Because she's already getting glimpses into the lives of the other players and Ted Lasso himself. What I'm hoping she's going to come to realize is that if she can turn this team around, because they were a mediocre team to begin with. Mm -hmm. They were just middling. Is if... Ted, through his coaching, can turn the team around and get them more wins. Or maybe even a championship. Even a championship that having it under her management instead of her husband's be the more successful team, I think, would injure her ex more. I agree. But she isn't thinking that way. She has these glimpses where she is the person she really is. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she lets that anger and hurt take control again. Yep. And it makes me just really sad for her. Mm-hmm. Because I think the character is very interesting and, and underneath it all is is actually a very good person. Yeah, when you see little bits of genuineness in her, like when she laughs at one of Ted's dumb jokes, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's some part of her there that she's very sweet and and could join in on the fun, but because she's so resentful and she has this plan and it's it's like the hammer nail situation you know when you're a hammer every problem looks like a nail it's like she's so devoted to ruining this football team to hurt her husband that that's the only option available to her the world is unfair the world is still Mm -hmm. biased towards males yeah and men can get away with so much more than women can Mm -hmm. but i think she needs to understand that 
that doesn't mean she has to just close herself off and be that bitch. She hasn't figured out that yet. And that's her whole reasoning of hiring Ted Lasso is she saw him as a joke. And here's somebody who knows nothing about soccer or football or anything like that. He's coaches a whole other sport. But because Ted Lasso is a coach for the players themselves and their attitudes, mm-hmm. you know, he's like a motivational coach rather than the actual plays on the field coach. He's got the assistant coach for that, who's the one that knows, okay, Crystal Palace are fast on the outside. You know, yeah. he can tell you that. And well, just, you know, the individual nuts and bolts of the game itself. Yeah, well, he still can do plays because there was that point where he figured out if they started doing extra passes mm-hmm. that they would catch teams unaware because everyone's going to expect Jamie to go for the goal because mm-hmm. that's what he always does because he's a glory hog. Well, wasn't that Nate that suggested that they It use, was Nate, yeah. Use, uh... But he was, he was doing this diagram on the board where he was just... Mm-hmm. Is like this is what the, and then this is there's this big hole here and he's trying to figure that out mm. and you know he's just like okay well you you now I'll turn it over to you I figured out what's wrong you guys fix it <laughs> yeah. and that's when Nate's just like well I have an idea mm-hmm. yeah he showed this is our offense it doesn't work he erases it and it's like okay you know why I did that is it was a symbolic gesture yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, I love him. I yep. love him. Jason Sudeikis. I've always loved Jason Sudeikis. Mm-hmm. And I was really sad when he left Saturday Night Live many moons ago. Yeah. And I'm just glad that he is doing so well in television. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's been nominated for an Emmy. I could see why. Because it's it's a quite a, a performance. It's one of those, like you said, that he was born to play. Mm-hmm. This is a role he just embodies. That constant optimism but there's always a little bit of sadness there too because he's you know struggling with his marriage yeah. and so there's some loneliness there there's maybe a little bit of resentment there's some you know doubt there i don't think there's resentment from him yeah well not towards her i don't think but no. maybe for maybe well not resentment regret is probably the okay, better regret. word is regret that, for for previous actions on his part well, and actually, how he behaved during their relationship maybe but he actually said he wouldn't. He would do it all the yeah. same. Because he's he's who he's he is. Who, yeah, he's just who he is. Mm-hmm. And if you if you can't take that nonstop optimism, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's who he is. Just how he engages with everybody around him, mm-hmm. like this young lady that he spots suddenly joining a game of of footy and controlling the ball, making the guy trip, and yeah, keeps bumping into her. It's fun. Oh, God. I just love this show so much. I haven't felt this way about a comedy sitcom sort of thing for, well, probably since Community. Yeah, I think Community is very similar on level of jokes and how fast and hard they come. Because you'll mm-hmm. laugh out loud at some stuff. But it's got heart, too. And There's every so once in a while, heart. Community would do that, too. It would have heart in, in its story i think um ted lasso has the most heart of any show i've ever seen because every episode i'm like clutching my chest and going my heart i know i want to go right back to an episode after this Uh, we can totally do that i can get some ice cream yep i don't like ice cream but i do like one ice cream and that's mint chocolate chip and that's it that is all was that the one we got this decided was the best ice cream i forget yes yeah yes that is correct okay 
And they are correct. Yep. We'll do that after. Okay. Uh, we have, I think, one more thing we're going to do. News Masters news. of the Universe! Oh, what do you think about this? I know you found it surprising. Well, it's interesting that they're kind of retaining the same animation style yeah. as the original series, but the voices aren't nearly as ridiculous. Right. There's Mark Hamill in there. You know I'm yep. down to always listen to Mark Hamill. As Skeletor. It starts with everything ending. I mean, that yeah. is ballsy. Uh, and it's interesting how Tila responds to everything. It's like, right. you've lied to me this whole time. You have knew all along that Adam was He-Man, and none of you told me. Mm-hmm. Not one of you. And the mother not even telling the father that Adam was Well, yeah. that's the thing. Mom wasn't supposed to know, but she's a bomb. Yeah, she knows her boy. Moms know. She knows. I don't so, know how invested I am to continue watching it. I don't know what you think. Well, I think we we should give it at least give one it, more episode yeah, to see what happens after all of this. Yeah. Because the first episode was just like, holy fuck, what is happening it here? There was a lot going on. So much. And so I would like to see at least one more episode to see kind of yeah. where this story is headed. So Yeah, and when He-Man becomes He-Man, he is so ridiculously muscular, it's like crazy. But well, I that's think the he, character. I think he should be ridiculously muscular. Yeah. That's the whole point. It's like he has muscles on muscles. There's biceps on his biceps. No, there's triceps on his yeah. biceps. <laughs> what is it Lee would say of, uh, I think it's Simon Beasley's artwork, is that it's like a sock stuffed with marbles. <laughs> Just bulging muscles all over the place. Oh my god. <laughs> he he is oversized, and I think that that's actually a good thing, because it always seemed like He-Man in the original series was not really that much bigger than mm. Adam. I mean, it's just like, how can you not tell these are the same guy? But with this He-Man, it's kind of like, oh yeah, no one would have a fucking clue that they were the same guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he reminded me of like the art from some of the later Street Fighter games when they really beefed them up. Mm-hmm. And so Ken was just this big old slab of meat. Yeah. So he kind of looks like Ken from later era Street Fighter. I am ready to give it another go, but not until we finish Ted Lasso, because I'm yeah. not going to be able to leave that alone. Yeah, I, I can have Masters of the Universe wait. I'm not that invested. Intrigued as to how they you know go on past this first episode, which is like a game changer in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm. is called Masters of the Universe. It's not called He-Man. Yeah, I wasn't quite drawn into it like She-Ra, but then She-Ra is so character-based. Yeah. Well, I think now we're going to get that character stuff. Yeah. Because with She-Ra, it was just a complete redo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this it, is whereas like a this continuation. this is a continuation. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, dark track time? Dark track time. This dark track is a direct submission. It's not really related to the main topic as I sometimes do. It's just I'll do that sort of thing for the follow-up music special devoted to the eighth card of the tarot. So that'll come a week after this. But this is a direct submission from Clace Nordling, who is also Retrograph. Hmm. And it's an album called Desolation, one he's been working on during the quarantine and the the pandemic and the songs are all 
inspired from the uh, pandemic and the quarantine in one way or another. And so we're going to play for you Blue Skies from Desolation by Retrograph. kind of uh, tapping your foot to this one. Yes, I enjoyed it, and I could understand every single word he sang. Yeah, very clear vocals, 
and interesting how relates to the uh, blue droplets in the blue skies, you know, mm-hmm. the dark blue droplets as being the infection itself and how things like air travel has to be closely looked at and regulated and yeah, that well, sort of thing. That's the thing. It's airborne. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the virus itself is airborne and this kind of represents that while also tackling, you know, the whole nature of air travel. Mm-hmm. So fascinating stuff. Uh, Kind of a dark synth take on the whole pandemic and quarantine, and yeah, kind of has a kind of sad, uh, isolated quality to it, which makes sense if you think of how the album was created. Indeed, that there's something somewhat morose and lonely about the piece, really. In this type of music, that never happens. Yeah, though the synth itself is quite beautiful, quite lovely, and really cool. Nice synth strains throughout, and. Uh, really cool beat as well eerie tune yes definitely haunting and uh, right up my alley captures a lot of the feelings of dread and uncertainty and loneliness under the pandemic that as quite a few countries are still experiencing you know the the worst of it like well, india yeah we're trying to recover though some people are dragging their feet yes well of some somehow they've managed to divorce personal responsibility from their individual freedom when really they're one and the same thing is if you're free you're responsible for the free actions the free choices you make you don't get one or the other freedom is not freedom from responsibility it's not the freedom from the eyes of a child thinking they can do anything they want without consequences that's not freedom no freedom comes with consequences from the choices you make that's the nature of being free that's why I think it was Albert Camus that said that we're condemned to be free. Mm. That freedom is like a prison because we're responsible for the choices we make. That falls surely on our shoulders. My God, Loki was right. (laughs) Freedom is the great lie. Mm, Freedom is a prison. Yeah. (laughs) It's that you yearn to be controlled, to kneel, to obey, because you give up your responsibility. You put that responsibility on your leader, on their shoulders. But yeah, well, if you choose not to wear a mask and you infect other people, guess who's responsible for that? You. Yeah. If anybody dies because you infected them, who's responsible for that? You. They don't live in reality, honey. No, they don't. They, it, they've created their own reality yeah. and they will shoot down anything that tries to break that reality. Well, this whole thing about cancel culture and them crying out about people not acknowledging their First Amendment rights is like, well, you can say whatever you want, but that doesn't prevent people from criticizing you for it. That's yeah. part of it. That's that's the responsibility that comes with the freedom. If you say some racist, stupid thing and people call you out on it, that's not them canceling you. That's them criticizing you and calling you out, which is their First Amendment rights. Your yeah. First Amendment rights don't trump everybody else's. You know, they don't, you know, you don't have final say in the matter just because you know you're white and moneyed well they don't even have to be moneyed honey there are a lot of stupid white people that feel the same way and this idea that private platforms are censoring your free speech is like no Mm -hmm. you agreed to terms and services Mm -hmm. that pointed out what was something you could say on the platform versus what you could not and if you violate those terms and services then they can ban you from the site you agreed to a contract and you violated that contract and then you are removed 
from that service. It's it's like the no shirts, no shirt, no shoes, no service thing. You go into a grocery store or a convenience store without sh- shoes or a shirt and they kick you out and then blame the company for violating your First Amendment rights? No, you saw the sign. Yeah. And by entering, you agreed to that contract. Oh, wow. Well, it's like this video I saw of this, let's just call him a Trump supporter. Okay. Who bought a ticket on a plane. His ticket, uh, his seat was in the last row of the plane. He just sat down in first class. And the flight attendants were like, sir, you can't do that. Right. He went off. Like, off. And he was like, oh, no, you go ahead and call the police. You're infringing on my rights. You're infringing on my freedom. This is my seat. And they did call the cops. Uh-huh. They had to deplane everyone. Mm-hmm. There were people who were missing their connections because of this fucker. And all he's doing is screaming about his freedom and screaming about his freedom. And he really thought that when the police got there, they were going to side with him. No, no, no. They handcuffed him and had to force him into a wheelchair to get him off the plane. Jesus. And even then, it took two, it took three cops, one pulling Mm -hmm. the, the wheelchair backwards and two others, each holding one of his legs. He was just continually kicking. And I'm just like, okay. Freedom doesn't mean you can buy a seat here and go sit in first class. You signed a contract mm-hmm. when you bought that ticket that you were going to sit in that seat. Well, it's like going to a car dealership and purchasing an economy car and then driving off in a Porsche. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's it like, works. That's not how it works. That's not how reality works. You agreed to a thing. You paid for a thing. That's the thing you get. You don't get, like, the cheapest thing on the menu and then expect to be served steak. That's this whole reality that people like this have created. That is just, freedom equals I can do whatever I want. No, that's what a five-year-old thinks. You are a grown-ass adult. Freedom does not mean freedom from consequences of your actions. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are starting to learn that. Or they should, anyway. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you make choices. Expect to live with them. Yeah. That's the way it should work. And they're always so surprised when it comes back at them. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you fucked up. Well, also this idea that because you're white and privileged that you are allowed to do anything you want and laws are only for the the people of color. And it's like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. No. That that may be the way it seems to work, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. No, but that's the way the country was built. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. inherent in our very origins. Yeah, well, when there are people with credible allegations of sexual misconduct and stuff that are still sitting in prominent positions, Supreme uh, Court. Yeah, and yeah, that uh, it's telling. So, hmm. yeah, there are at least three people on the Supreme Court: men, white men. Well, one's a black man actually that oh, has, yeah. have sexual allegations against them, mm-hmm. and yeah, they're still there. Making the decisions in the highest court in the land, and it disgusts me. Well, it was just revealed that the FBI director during the Kavanaugh hearing had set up a, um, basically a call line for for tips and information, and it was funneled directly to the White House where the information was not utilized at all. Of course it wasn't. And there was call after call after call Mm -hmm. with information that went nowhere. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go. 
Hello again, listeners. For those of you who don't remember us, because it's been a few weeks since we recorded, this is the Feminine Critique. It is. I am one of your hostesses, Emily, and with me is... The other hostess, Christine. Yay! She remembered her name and everything. Yep, I practiced. Makes sense. Scanners, to me, is kind of the more, um, like, the less emotional, but playing with the same idea ideas kind of from this one in a way bless you that's how i felt about that allergic to scanners i am don't talk about it that's fine i'll keep michael ironside all to myself i like that movies that movies what's wrong so good i'm a child Uh, take as many people down with you as take as many spaghetti shoot out your spaghetti tentacles and and you can't beat them Spaghetti tentacle them. That's what I always say. Uh, and uh, on that note, we will say our goodbyes and um, give me that penmanship medal because I think I deserved it. I'm going to beat you with a shoe for it. <laughs> I had to beat him to death with his own shoe. I just had to end there. Good night, everybody. Uh, yeah. Shall we go ahead and get on with the main topic, I suppose? What were we talking about? Well, we were doing the the song. No, no, no. I mean, like, what's, what was the topic again? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let's do it then. All right. We are talking about the tarot again. Yay. We are talking about the eighth card of the tarot. Well. We're talking about strength. Mm-hmm. And this should catch us up a bit. Because I remember doing the hermit. So hermit. we're kind of catching up on what we did in our previous incarnation that we're finally getting around to so we can have a the tarot cards up to a certain point and then we can start where we left off after that so it's all kind of muddled so we're all over the place with uh, talking about the tarot but yes we are at the eighth card of the tarot strength mm-hmm. now the lovers the chariot strength these are all parts of like the trials and tribulations part of the tarot and the labors they, of hercules yeah it it comes with a series of uh, cards that are about like conflict and trust and how you deal with the other, the opposition. Like with lovers, it's all about how you find something contrary to you and yet find a way to merge and work with it. Mm. And that's kind of the the partnership aspect of it is finding something other, you know, contrary, contradictory, or even maybe complementary and and finding a way to fuse with it in a positive manner. You have the chariot, which, as a weapon of war, is direct conflict. It's like head-on with this contrary force. With strength, it's a bit more subtle, more nuanced. It's a more indirect, perhaps, situation. Though there is action taking place. But it's not in like this direct competitive thing that the chariot's known for. It's it might be slower, more procedural, more restrained, but it's still opposition mm. in many ways. And the image on your typical strength card is of a woman, maybe with red hair, because the card is associated with the fire element, which is represented by the wands of the uh, lesser arcana. The woman is often depicted with a lion, and she's usually holding it around the jaws, and she's placating or calming the lion. 
In other words, kind of preventing it from, from biting or attacking. She's soothing it. So this represents a kind of gentleness or what the Japanese call kind of a ju, which is the root of judo and jujitsu, is a pliability, a gentleness, a kind of non-violent quality to it is as a way of placating or tranquilizing the the inner beast and so it's like a calm exterior to you know this kind of angry or uh, feral or volatile inner turmoil cardinal virtue with which strength is associated and strength used to be known as the fortitude card Mm. it's courage in the osho zen tarot i believe it's represented by a little flower breaking through the surface of a concrete pavement. Yes. That it shows how just through persistence, just even in the most gentle persistence, that what appears weak can push through and dominate and break through. And so it's a show of force, but a show of, of a gentle but very influential force that can overpower something even stronger than you. And so many, many representations of the strength card show a woman figure. It's a feminine card. Oh, yeah. So strength also represents patience. That's part of it, too. Like the weed pushing through, you know, the pavement to break through like a crack in the pavement. It it shows patience and persistence, like how just a gentle stream can carve a canyon over time. Oh, yeah. Because even the most gentle pressure over a long period of time can wear people down. That's the persuasive nature of this card as well. It's uh, Persuasiveness is, is how you can whittle somebody down, wear them down, just little by little. Being persistent is you can persuade people over time to change their ways. Like Ted Lasso. Yeah, like Ted Lasso. It's just every day bringing you cookies that he baked. That she doesn't know he baked. Yeah, and he finally cracked the recipe. <laughs> Sometimes... The woman is featured with the infinity symbol over her head. Most of the time. This represents infinite power. And it's seen several times in the major arcana. One coming to mind is the magician, Mm -hmm. which is the first card of the tarot. Shows the infinite symbol being above the magician's head, showing that he's infinitely capable. And same here. The strength is inexhaustible that it's slow and it's persistent but it doesn't run out Mm. you just keep at it and you can kind of see how that is the case for a lot of women is just having to persist having to keep strong day after day after day after day yeah welcome to a woman's fucking life every fucking day so i can see how a lot of women would relate to this card as having to be the stronger consistently and not make a big show of it because it's like men can get away with the chariot you know the the showy bit of conflict and and dealing with competition and stuff like that women is like it's just because of the way people are perceived they have to be more nuanced and subtle or come off as being bossy or shrill or all these words that are very much loaded against women very sexist terms that you'll hear anytime somebody refers to a woman as being bossy it's like what would you call a male leader bossy you'd call him authoritative you Mm -hmm. know you'd flavor it differently because it's expected of one and not the other and that's just these weird 
outdated gender roles that people have subscribed to. Yes, and oh, don't make a mistake if you're a woman, because you only get one. Oh yeah, well, men make mistakes all the time, but they're always given second, third, fourth, fifth chances. They're still giving that guy movies to make? What? Yep. (laughs) Woody Allen's still a director? Same with Roman Polanski. It's like, you're still directing movies? Okay. Yeah. Let's get to the numerology then. Because it's the eighth card, it relates also to, in the major arcana, the 17th card, because 1 plus 7 equals 8. The star, which is a pretty complex card in its own right, but represents hope, faith, purpose, renewal, spirituality. The strength card also relates to the eight suit cards of the lesser arcana or the inner arcana or is it the outer arcana that the uh, numbered cards are well it's really more major and minor major minor because i've heard inner and outer too unless i'm confusing that with the sailor scouts you're you're thinking of inner and outer senshi darling it's (laughs) major and minor (laughs) the major and minor arcana so the eight of swords uh, represent negative thoughts, self-imposed restrictions, imprisonment, victim mentality. You can see that as being like the dark edge of the strength card is, you know, especially like the self-imposed restrictions is that you are being restrained. So there's a way to take that too far is that the uh, limits you place on your own emotional outbursts or whatever there can be too great of a a restriction that you impose on yourself that may be unnecessary or even harmful uh the eight of cups disappointment abandonment withdrawal escapism again we have this bit of kind of isolation and removal withdrawal of being more introverted than extroverted with your yeah, there's fireworks because this is the 24th of July, which we didn't talk about earlier. Yeah, it's a state holiday. It's basically, supposedly, when the pioneers got here and went, oh, this is the place. There's nobody here. Excuse me, there's nobody here. <laughs> Who are all these people? Sorry, that was Eddie Izzard. So I suppose there's always that risk that whatever is that oppositional force that you find yourself opposed to, this chance that you might abandon that fight or withdraw from it or escape from it. Uh, Eight of Wands, movement, uh, fast-paced change, action, alignment, air travel. I think a lot of Wands cards represent travel in one way or another. Mm. A few of them do anyway, and this is one of them. But yeah, there there is activity, just as the chariot represents activity. It's here too, but in this case, it's the Eight of Wands is a little more fast and prompt than you might get with the strength card on its own (laughs) you know the strength card being a more slow gradual process or as it would seem and the eight of pentacles apprenticeship repetitive tasks mastery skill development again i think we're reinforcing this idea of repetition persistence keeping at the same task over time to reach a goal which takes commitment that's a major issue to it being able to commit to the task at hand which is opposed to uh, the eight of cups which is about non-commitment poor darling's tired i'm sorry i starting didn't to sleep lose her. well <laughs> yeah she's starting to get a little little heavy-lidded 
my dreams have been extra special weird mm-hmm. lately, and it is really fucking up my sleep. Uh, anything stand out looking through images of other depictions of the strength card? Yeah, most of them have your lady and your lion. Uh-huh. But then there's this one, that it's a lion with an alligator head. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, it makes me wonder if that's like a mythological creature from some culture. It's, again, from that same fairy tale tarot. It's the story of Tamlin. It's, um... <laughs> Isn't that the story with, like, 14 princesses and they only really talk about one of them? No. That was the chariot. It's a bizarre... <laughs> bizarre card yeah but then so are fairy tales but I you've mean, got her red hair it's so very fiery red yeah very abundant i don't see an infinity symbol ah i see like almost triple goddess but not quite mm. more just celtic knots well, celtic knots have that kind of infinite quality because they tie back on themselves as knots often do then there's this one. Oh, that's that one golden death-like one Seems to be a female skull with a winged kind of tiara that is grasping a cobra. There's another one. There's a few that I just, that are just beautiful. Yep. Well. Like this one. Yes. Nice. So Fiery Sun, which is the uh, celestial body, I believe, that governs Leo. Is the sun. Yep. So that the sun would be so prominent and the card really ties into that Leo energy. And, of course, the lion itself also being a very clear representative of Leo as an astrological uh, sign. Yes, this is called the Luminous Tarot. And just judging by this particular card, that must be a very pretty deck. There is the Leo symbol hiding down there. Yeah. And there's your infinity, or there's your number. That's almost eight. the same as an infinity symbol. Yeah, you turn the eight on its side and it becomes the infinity symbol. Yeah. Interesting. So I like that that one Mm -hmm. a lot here's another interesting one that is a really big ass lion that's kind of one of those weird ones that's like almost looks like photoshopped where it looks like a photo of a lion and then a photo of a woman that's kind of like shrunk down and put on top of the lion's head yeah but as i look very closely at it it's definitely not painted you think it's definitely artwork and there's a pyramid in the background and a sun behind the lady's head but she's not red-headed she is wearing a red dress though a red gown Red does figure in. There's this one, which is just pretty. Okay, that one's kind of got a Game of Thrones kind of quality to it. I like the text is a bit different. It's kind of like, I don't know, like ink brushy. Yes. Very bold, blocky letters. And she has the infinity symbol above her head. She has uh, white hair, and so does the lion. And the lion seems to have a painted face with, like, black stripes on it. Yes, and she has sort of the same markings on her face as yep. well. And she seems to be hugging the lion from yep. behind, laying her chin on its head. Okay, this one's just downright creepy. Okay, this is a weird ghostly kind of moon-style uh, tarot, which is interesting, though. That looks like it might be a lunar eclipse, which is weird because it seems to be, like, robbing the sun of its power. Replacing it with the power of the moon. This is this one's called the Dreamwalker Tarot. That's terrifying. Kind of ghastly figure in a crown behind a lion. I feel like I'm going to have bad dreams. Yeah, looking at that one, yeah. That is... There's something nightmarish about it. Yeah. Then there's this one. Very the, gothic. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, there she is. It looks like a succubus or some demon. It might mm. even be Lilith herself. Quite possibly. Kind of bat-winged uh, female figure leaning against a lion. And it looks like they're on a throne-like area that has a lion head on the throne. Yeah. Possibly. It looks underground anyway, like a dungeon. Yes. there. She's in a red dress again. Not she a is red in head. a red dress, and there seems to be smoke coming from the ground, which suggests maybe they're in hell or something. Or so it maybe possibly could be Lilith. Yeah, I don't like that characterization of Lilith. Women always get the shaft when it comes to mythology. Yeah. Here's one that's really an interesting take. Oh, it's a uh, woman whose face seems to be turning into that of a lion, and she's sitting with a lamb. Which is interesting, and it shows the compassion of the character, and also she has a tattoo. This is clever. She mm-hmm. has a tattoo of the infinity symbol on her forearm, and she's raised her forearm above her head. Yep. So the infinity symbol is also above her head. And she has a heart pendant, too, which also suggests a compassionate nature from which the card is also known. And again, they have kind of a handwritten title, strength, over in the corner, mm-hmm. kind of unobtrusively. Yeah, as as another in uh, the eight right there, it's very hard to see. Oh, another infinity symbol like right before the S of strength. Yeah, that that one is probably the biggest departure. Yeah, but still uh, but embraces still have... elements of it. Uh, the blonde hair instead of red, but I think blonde is also kind of an indicator of a sun. Yes, maybe not a flame, but of the sun itself, of light, as yes. opposed to like having brunette hair, which would be maybe more associated with the moon. That is true. Then there's this one that's going to fuck up your brain. Uh, super colorful. Uh, I can barely make out a lion because it's also multicolored. And I don't see the lady. There's another lion, but I don't see any lady. I see two lions. And it's kind of like a weird puzzle mosaic. It's bizarre. Piece. It's very colorful. It looks like a mural. It does look like a mural sometimes. And I might share some of these on the Twitter yeah, I, I found this by just putting in strength tarot. Yeah. I didn't put in card. Oh, you're still finding quite a few. Yeah. As long as you're in images. Anything yeah. else stand out or I'm, do you I'm think looking. that covers it? I'm looking. There's got to be one more really. I'm what? curious. Uh, put in Star Wars with the rest of it and see what comes up. Strength tarot Star Wars? Yeah. Because I know several people have already done the Star Wars tarot. And I'm wondering if they'd have the same thing I think of. Ooh, I think I see some Leia's there. Yeah. That one's actually thin. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of neat uh, art style, too, even. Yeah, lots of Leia's. Well, Leia is the star. Leia as the magi- magician. Okay, but not specifically as strength. Well, a lot of fins. There was another fin, wasn't there? Yep. But as the fool, which makes sense, because kind of opens with him being out of his element and kind of falling into the whole thing. I like to tie in the tarot to Star Wars because it is the hero's journey, the fool's journey. They're very similar. They touch upon the similar themes of the development of consciousness as you grow older and as you face various tests and trials and experience various archetypes, various key people in your life that teach you the ways of the world or expose you to the ways of the world. And as much as the strength card is a feminine card, I'm tempted to say that Chewbacca would be a representative of strength. Mm. Because there is that anger that 
he mostly keeps in check that he could tear your arm off and beat you with it, but how often does that actually happen? <laughs> yeah. That there's this idea that you're extremely powerful, but you can contain it and utilize that strength only when necessary. And I know it's also the card represents courage. I know Chewbacca has been depicted every once in a while as being kind of cowardly, but probably for a good reason, because foolishness is when you take courage too far. Courage is being afraid of something for the right reason and doing it anyway, but with caution. And if you think of the escaping the prisoner floor of the Death Star when they go into the trash compactor, Chewie doesn't want to go because he smells something. And it makes you wonder if he smells the creature that attacks Luke down there. Oh, I'm sure he did. And that's why he was reluctant to go. There's application of courage and then there's cowardice and... Those things are different. Here's one with not a lion. A fox? Yeah, big fox. Yeah, looks like a fox. Very cool. And and another creative use of the infinity symbol. I like how artists find ways of incorporating it. It looks like either a crown or something to hold the hair, like that top bun in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that it's not like just this mystical symbol above the head it's it's there to serve a purpose but at the same time represents infinite power indeed yeah most of them are the lady and the lion but not all nope so yeah it's kind of like a beauty and the beast kind of thing too is you know the beauty soothing the beast sort of situation they got a lot of depictions of that sort of thing there's one with a guy on it fuck off though i understand the whole music soothes the savage beast is actually originally was breast Yep, just somebody mistranslated it ever since. Or misspelled it. Misspelled it, yeah. Or misheard it, and you do something wrong long enough, eventually it becomes right, no matter how much it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh... There's another one with a guy. Stop putting guys on this feminine card, you assholes. Would you disagree with me putting Chewbacca in as, as a representative of strength? Though? I would not disagree with you. Okay. I don't see... Chewbacca as toxic masculinity. And also, when you're discussing Star Wars, especially if you're talking about just the original trilogy, your choice of female characters is very Very, slim. It's tiny. And we already had Leia be the priestess, and I believe I think, was it Mon Mothma that I had be the mother character? Yeah, it's pretty much all the women. Yeah, there's Aunt Beru, but she could be one of the queens. I don't know what we do with the other queens. There's only so much you get from the original trilogy. Yeah, that's about it. All right, so that wraps up strength. I know it's kind of a amateurish approach to discussing the tarot. There's other tarot-related podcasts out there that I think would go more in-depth, but you're kind of getting our perspective when it comes to the tarot, our approach to it. I know you used to read cards until it became too taxing it was always too taxing yeah emotionally physically psychically taxing yeah it wasn't uh it wasn't ever not taxing it was that from the beginning but the longer i had to do it the harder it became Mm -hmm. on me and i like it as a storytelling tool i like it as a way of kind of understanding structure and relationships and as a meditative tool that sort of thing So, yeah, I'll come back in about a week's time, if not earlier, with a music special devoted to strength. 
with some songs related to the various meanings and maybe pick up on things I might have forgotten to discuss in this episode. And Brandy's falling asleep, so let's have some shout-outs. Hey! Our shout-out, unless you want to say it... No, go ahead. ...is to Chris and Chelsea. We actually met with them in person for a baby shower, because we're going to have a little baby. We're going to have a BB. They're going to have a little one. Yeah, they had a bee-themed baby shower, which was fun, because it wasn't this blue or pink kind of thing. There's just little bee things around, and little honeycombs, and just fun little... B deals. I'm sure that was by Chelsea's design. Was, because yeah. she doesn't do the red and blue thing. Red and blue. Pink and blue thing. Yeah, it's not into gender normatives. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was nice to get there early and talk to both of them early on and kind of catch up on what they're doing and how Chris is living the life of an artist that they're getting by on his comic book, Black Lantern. You can find that. Uh, he's teaching and doing commissions and yeah it's uh, great to catch up on with them talk about D a little bit and talk yeah. about just you know our lives and just expecting a child in one of the hottest summers or the hottest summer on record yeah chelsea wants to have a july baby yeah <laughs> she's she's due in august yeah she's but she's miserable and it's yeah. not because of the heat no like, she was also talking about how like a baby will shift and put their foot right up against your ribs and you're like oh please mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my ribs just like st- kind of start massaging uh-huh. please stop this please stop this stop it yeah and i even saw on facebook that chris shared you know a little four panel comic oh i love those of him getting you know a little ipod or his phone or something and playing music and having the little baby dance in the womb Yep, and then him leaning his head up against uh, Chelsea's belly to feel the movements of this. Yeah, he's been doing qu- quite a few of those. Yeah, it's really it's... touching, like journals, like comic book style or comic style journals of uh, yeah. of them having their first child. So yep, yeah. So big shout out to those two. We love them dearly. They're a really great couple, and kind of see ourselves in them a little bit. You know, just... Oh, they're far more talented than either one of us. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's just we've been together so much longer. But, yeah, we can see the same bond in them that's between us. So I think they'll have a good go at it. Oh, absolutely. I don't think anything would ever tear them apart. They're they're one of those groups that's stronger together, kind of like we are, you know. Yeah. You take us apart, we'd, we'd be weakened. We're like a gestalt force. Right. All right. With that, I think we'll close up. Um... Starting to run a little long, not too long. I should be able to edit this down. And I'll be back with a music special, which will not be quite as long, because those usually run about 40 minutes or so. Maybe 50 minutes if I get verbose. I'm sorry if you can't edit out some of my <gasps> What, your yawns and stuff? I'm trying to be so quiet. Either they'll self-edit, or I'll find them and isolate them and get rid of them and... There's one point I knocked one can into another, so I'll edit that out. Yeah. This kind of noise. Dave's voice soothes me. Yep. So um, listening to him talk. There was a time she was having trouble falling asleep, so I would read her philosophy, and I would put her right out. Yeah, get out that Sartre book. Oh, God, being in nothingness <laughs> will put you right out. Well, I think it's supposed to be really read in the original French because there's a lot of wordplay in it. Yes. That doesn't translate. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you talk about a flight fleeing from itself, it doesn't make as much sense as it probably does in the original French. The yes. self is a flight fleeing from itself. And you're like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. It's like, well, you can't lock it down because it's a constantly changing thing. So what is the self? It's already changed <laughs> as soon as you start to examine it. And she's starting to fall asleep already. I had <laughs> so some people complaining about philosophy as an argument to prove God or whatever. And people were really down on philosophy. It's like, ugh, philosophy's fine. Philosophy know? has nothing to do with God specifically. Yeah. Philosophy can be used to argue other things as well. And it's not just sophistry. Especially when you get into consciousness and what is consciousness. It's like then facts kind of get a little shaky. It's like, well... Who came up with what numbers and what numbers mean? Are they really real or do they exist outside ourselves as something provable? Or are numbers things we've invented? Is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 stuff that we've created out of our minds? Or is that something external to us that would exist without us? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they say that math is the universal language of the universe. Mm -hmm. The universal language of the universe. Yeah, but then you, you talk about, okay, because we have ten fingers, we communicate in a base ten mathematics. If we only had, like, six fingers, would we have a base six mathematical style of doing math? Dear God, I hope not. But, I mean, think about it, though. We have ten fingers, but we're still on the imperial system, which is based on twelve. Well, it's based on multiples of different things, depending on what you're talking about. I know. It's such bullshit. It's like, can we please all just go metric? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to take a little yeah. time to learn it, but we need to just stop this bullshit and Ones, have tens, one measuring system. Hundreds, thousands. That makes a lot more sense than, okay, there's 12 inches to a foot. There's three feet to a yard. There's how many yards to an acre and how many acres to, it's like just. Well, acre is square footage. You can't yeah, do that. Yeah, okay. Then how many yards in a mile? How many, it's like, it gets really crazy when it's a lot easier in metric yeah it's like a whole bunch of people just decided no i want this i want to decide how mm. many feet there are in a mile it's just no <laughs> just do it by metric system and let's get rid of fucking fahrenheit there's a great john Fenimore sketch about that yeah about how stupid fahrenheit is and when you hear that sketch you really realize that is absolutely the most ridiculous way of measuring temperature <laughs> yeah. that could ever have been invented. He's explaining it to the guy that invented Celsius, and he's like, yeah, it's when water freezes. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. He's like, well, what's the temperature of water? It's like 212 degrees. And what's, what is that? Is It's actually a mixture of water and brine and all these other things. He's mm. like, oh. Well, what's the highest for you? Oh, it's 100 because that's the boiling temperature of, yeah, yes, again, water. water. Yep. Water boils at 100, freezes at zero. Uh-huh. And between that is whatever temperatures are. Simple. So I think 30 degrees is actually quite hot. It is hot. Yeah. Not as hot as 35 degrees. Though. Yeah, because I think UK has been seeing 30 degree weather in some places. So Yeah, that's hot. Yep. Close there, and I'll be back with the music special with songs related to strength. So take care, everyone. Bye. This has been the Dark Corner Podcast with Dave and Brandy Chicola. Follow me on Twitter at DarkCornerCast. Brandy is Brandy112. Brandy with an I, 12 is a number. We also have a Facebook page and Facebook group. Both are the Dark Corner Podcast. If you have feedback, email us at thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. 
The intro track is Our Promise 2020 version by Studio X vs. Simon Carter. The outro is Goodbye by Nina Mee. The dark track has been offered for free as a promotional item or was submitted by the artist or artist's representative. All other music is illustrative and no violation of copyright is intended. You can hear more from Brandy and me on What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast on Anchor. Brandy also appears on Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast, also on Anchor. Join the chat most weekends around 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time as Brandy records the Unready Room, live with Dan Gunther on the Kurt Ratz YouTube channel. Kurt Ratz is Star Trek spelled backwards. A special thank you to Tom Elliott for providing hosting for our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review if possible, and thank you for listening. It is our joy to keep you in the dark. The Dark Corner.